Welcome to a breakthrough in wellness. LifeWave X39 Patches are proud sponsor today. Imagine tapping into ancient healing through modern technology. The X39 uses light photon therapy, which is a practice that actually dates back 2,000 years to energize your body's naturally natural flow and to produce stem cells. It's not just wellness, it's science actually enhancing your life. These patches empower your own body to produce its own stem cells, which revitalize you from within. Feel the surge of youth and wellness almost immediately. And with your LifeWave X39, your satisfaction is guaranteed. 100% money back, no risks, just pure wellness. So if you sign up as a preferred customer plus, today you'll get get it for $19.95 a month. You'll receive wholesale prices, subscription savings, loyalty rewards, sample products of all the different patches, and your own referral link. So this Christmas, you guys, everybody was sick around me. We were in Portland at my family's, and literally everybody got sick. I had the patches on, and I stayed completely healthy. And it was all thanks to X39. And then when I found out that I could put the patches on children, I put one on seven because she was also really sick. And she had had a fever, but I put the patch on, and she was back to normal, no fever, in just two hours. And me, I'm feeling like I'm 21 years old again. I have so much energy, it's crazy. So if you're ready to join as a provider, you're going to go and you're going to click join and then just select your package. And then you won't, don't forget to add the preferred plus program for all the exclusive benefits I just told you about before for $19.99. And this will be available for the next month. Okay, so you want to visit www.lifewave.com, L-I-F-E-W-A-V-E.com backslash psychic babes, P-S-Y-C-H-I-C, B-A-B-E-S to start your journey to renewed energy and wellness. LifeWave X39, energize your life, guys. You won't regret it. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. We're in the 21st century. Humans that aren't awake survive in a self-made penitentiary. George Greg Lake. He's a trial and appellate attorney, an entheogenic church con- uh, consultant, an entrepreneur, and an author. He's the author of three books, Psychedelics and Mental Health, Psilocybin, Law of Entheogenic Churches in the United States, and The Law of Entheogenic Churches, Volumes 2, The Definition of Religion Under the First Amendment. Greg has consulted about over 35 entheogenic-based religious groups enshrining their religious exercises rights, and he's also the C- CEO of Entheo Connect. So welcome, Greg. I'm so excited to have you on. Yeah, thank you, Kirsten. It's uh, it's absolutely an honor to be here today, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about um, your story and how you got into law and then how you merged that with entheogens. 
Uh, so yeah, I grew up in a Northeast Texas town, small town, uh, had a good family life growing up. Uh, unfortunately I got into drugs and alcohol about the age of 12. Um, I was a highly functional addict for a very long time and I knew pretty early on that I wanted to go to law school. Uh, so somehow or another was able to scratch together high school, college, uh, law school, and I'll mention that during the end of my second semester, uh, my second year of law school, my mother passed away suddenly from heart attack. So, like, it threw a lot of fire in my addiction. Instead of taking time to properly grieve and do those things, I chose to push forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, got licensed to practice law in Texas in 2012. Uh, practiced law for a bit. Unfortunately, my addiction pretty much took over my life in right about 2014. Uh, I had to quit practicing law. I had several traumatic events happen and uh, just kind of went downhill from there. Ended up uh, 2000, early 2016, entering treatment into a long-term residential treatment program called Cinecor, which is a therapeutic community. Uh, I did 32 months there. And I'll say that like my spirituality really started to develop in that place because it's a very tough program. And so through the hardships in the program was able to really start developing my spirituality uh, along several different lines. And having worked with the Diogens before that experience, I kind of came right back to them, uh, you know, once I got out of that, and, um, you know, my, I'll say this, my experiences turned, turned to be very much primary religious and mystical in nature and was guided through these experiences to write my first book, mm-hmm. um, where it was relayed to me that my higher path would be revealed. And so once I published my first book, Psychedelics and Mill Health Series, within a week, I was approached about this work. And granted, I was working doing maritime litigation as my full-time job at the time. And so once I started doing this church work, um, yeah, just everything in the universe has conspired You know, and in that process, I wrote my two other books. But like other than that, the universe just conspired to push me along this path. So now this is, you know, pretty much what I do full time on top of a few other projects. But yeah, here I am blessed to be here and, you know, to be a service. That's amazing. Um, I also had um, had a struggle with addiction uh, early on and I lived in Texas and um, went to treatment out there and um I felt like I didn't get very much from treatment, but I moved out. Uh, you know, I, I took myself out of the picture. I just, I decided to move overseas so I wouldn't have access to anything. And because um, I was, I was using pain pills and I was a functioning yeah. addict just like yourself, you know? So, um, but that's when I finally decided that then I started my journey with um, psychedelics as well. How did you finally, you know, cut yourself off and, and get past your addiction? Was it using psychedelics? No, I was physically, like, <laughs> so I was incarcerated in early 2016 and I was thrown in an isolation cell where I detoxed for four days. And, uh, cause I was an opiate addict as well. And then from that point, spiritually was the only way I made it through that time. Right. I I was all spirit by the time I came out of that isolation. cell, and uh, just knew at that point that there, that's, that's not my path. It made a conscious decision. Again, I was in inpatient treatment for 32 months. Right. So yeah, I was absolutely separated in a different town from where I was. And that's really kind of where the, the foundation of my sobriety started. 
story, right? And then coming out, working again with the sacred mushrooms is where my spirituality really took, you know, a turn upwards. And um, yeah, and gave me more reasons, right? Not to go yeah. back and use and ways to, you know, cope with situations. And, you know, it's, it is still not easy. You know, I'm just like every other human. Sometimes I get intrusive thoughts, right? Where it's like, you know, breath work, meditation, rape helped me really through those hard times. But yes, the, the medicine has most definitely helped me uh, maintain my sobriety and, and really push me even further away spiritually from those types of situations. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I love that the, the book that you wrote that, you know, because of lack of resources on the medical benefits of entheogens, um, being so scarce that you put together a resource that's really like it's got it all like in one place. Um, it was pretty comprehensive on your psychedelics and mental health series, psilocybin. How do you think that society can get past these years of programming, you know, even with the knowledge? Well, so I think there's in, in from my perspective, there's several different forces out here yeah. working to help counteract all that negative thought programs, especially related to these substances. And so it's like with the movement, to to me, there's three fronts. There's the research, medical things that are progressing. Uh, And again, I support all these, right? So there's the medical research. uh, There's the decriminalized nature part and these decriminalization measures. And then there's this religious front. And, you know, as far as the science and medical goes, obviously a lot of people are only going to be convinced. Uh, through clinical trials and statistics and stuff like that. So there's a whole contingent of people that that plays to uh, on the decriminalized nature front. I mean, it really just shows that popular opinion really is swaying. And again, you know, when, when it's decriminalized somewhere, and doubters see that the sky hadn't fallen out. Everybody's okay. No one's died. Like, you know, that begins also in their mind to start moving past these programs that maybe we weren't fed correct information previously. Uh, and then obviously where I work, the religious front, right? So in my view, it's like this, that people come to these ceremonies, get what they want, start growing spiritually, emotionally, um, and they go out into the world. And people who are upfront about it, people see that. And they say, oh, okay, well, obviously these things aren't going to make you go crazy or put you in psychosis, right? Like people are actually getting benefits. And you know, a lot of times people are just cold called to these churches. I, I get stories all the time. People are just like, I don't know. I heard about it. And as soon as I heard about it, I was called to do it. And, you know, I think this is that a lot of us, because the archaeological and the uh, uh, other evidence is coming out that these substances, especially as it relates to sacred mushrooms, were used all over in all major areas of the world in antiquity. Well, I think a lot of us have it encoded in our DNA that this is where we need to go for spirituality, divination, or, you know, when we're having problems to seek the counsel of these sacred plants and fungi. And so once people hear about it in conjunction with this positive press, it pushes them there and then they answer the call. And so that's kind of how I see the three fronts working uh, to help per- persuade people back towards, you know, what I feel is the correct, you know, way to view these things. Yeah. I'm hoping it goes a little faster than it, than it's been going, but yeah. uh, 
you know, like in my experience, I mean, my, my parents, um, you know, they, they who are extremely against any kind of drugs, um, saw yeah. all the beautiful changes happening in me and saw, mm-hmm. my gosh, she's blossoming into this wonderful human being. Whereas, cause I wasn't so great when I was using opiates. Right. Yeah. And, um, they, they were asking me, what are you doing? And I was very upfront about it. And, um, I got my father to do psilocybin with me in Utah on Christmas time. And yeah. I had the best time. I, I will never forget that. Yeah, I'll bet. And I think more families can benefit from doing this kind mm-hmm. of work together. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I really hope that's like where we're headed, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, what was your first experience with psychedelic? Oh, you know, I was 12 and a half, 13 years old. I think I ate four or five hits of LSD, um, which wasn't, it, to be honest, I've never really had a terrible experience on Saturday. And that's that's surprising as many times as I took them in party mode and stuff like that. Never had a bad experience. And, you know, I was funny. I was thinking back to that experience, you know, uh, recently. And just, yeah, just a kid out there eating LSD. And, uh, you know, I'm thankful today that I've made it and progressed where I am from there for sure. Yeah. Um, which, which plant medicine do you think is offering the most promise for things like depression and anxiety? Do you think psilocybin or, uh, you know, my, my thought is this, I think they all play their own specific role. Right. But I would say psilocybin because it's probably the most widely available. It's the easiest to cultivate at home. Um, and I tell you this about cultivating psilocybin is you build a relationship with, with, mm-hmm. with the medicine, you know, and that's always key. I tell people it's key to working with them. Uh, it's building up that, that relationship of mutual respect with it. Um, but yeah, you know, probably psilocybin, and, but that's not to say that it's the greatest entheogen of all time. I mean, I am, impar- I am partial to them, but just because of availability and ease of use and information out there about it because of the FDA trials. Yeah. But there, it's, you're right. Like, I'm sure a lot of my listeners don't even realize there's things like Iboga and mm-hmm. things like, you know, Changa, DMT, um, San Pedro, you know, Mescal. Yeah. These are all things that are very beneficial in many different ways of healing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and I tell you, a lot of people that I know maybe started working with one, but then were called uh, to work with another, right? So I think once you kind of dip your toes and you become a little bit more aware, uh, you know, the one that probably suits you best will call to you. Yeah, yeah. that was that was me and DMT. And uh, I didn't I didn't want to facilitate with Changa, but I was like, I kept getting the call and having dreams. Mm-hmm. And then my best friend tells me he had a dream. Yeah. And I'm, so I'm like, OK, yeah, <laughs> that's right. And, and I, 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 just like you said, people who serve medicine, it's really a calling. Right. Because a lot of times we'll see people say, Oh, you're not a shaman. You didn't go sit, you know, for three years in South America. I refrain from making any of those judgments because my long history with the medicine has proved that it's a calling. I mean, I, I've seen people who you'd never expect yeah. have the, the the most beautiful ceremony you've ever seen, you know. And so, I don't ever make judgments on that. If people tell me that they're called, for the most part, I'm going to believe them, you know, until I see something contrary. Yeah, I think it's all about humility and staying humble and nope. having and just caring about the work that we're doing, right. right? You know, because right. 
this is literally it's a big responsibility too that's why i was kind of you know if you if you're called to it and you you hit head on you yeah let's do this i'm like wait a minute step back a second because if you don't think about it very deeply then you know that that's kind of for me that would be a red flag but you know it's it's one of those things that you really have to sit with for a while and and understand and yeah you have to get to know the medicine um intimately (laughs) before you can serve it i agree yeah i I agree 100 percent on everything you said um in your book i love how you mentioned that there's proof of psychedelic use um uh, via cave drawings that dates back to 5,000 to 7,000 BC. Like, why are they not teaching us this? Do you think? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and then our further research has kind of showed that once these established religions that we know today started to crop up and gain power, they quickly did away with these other practices, right? And, and mm-hmm. my, my guessing is because people who consume these entheogens realize real quick, like the divine isn't something that exists outside of me or like some man in the sky. It's like, it flows through me. It is me. Right. So that's contrary. And, and that is, is a very, very common experience of consciousness to realize that you're one with everything, including God or whatever your conception is, is contrary to a lot of those teachings. And I think they probably realized that very early on, maybe even being informed by the Lucidian industries uh decided to and and what the evidence has shown also is that the monastic orders of these religions adopted the those those practices right but like no one else the commoners don't need any of this right and so they adopted those practices um and then it just kind of got shoved under the rug i don't think that the history books erased this kind of intentionally per se i think that just Back when they they had kind of scooted all this under the rug well enough to where not even really many remnants remained. And then people started looking at Christianity and saying, oh, look at this motif. Look at this motif. Oh, that's an Amanita. Like, you know, it kind of started the whole idea that this isn't just like a, a Mexico tradition with Maria Sabina or the Aztecs. This is a, a worldwide phenomenon that occurred all over the world. Um, to, to varying degrees. And another thing they've shown is that it was mostly women uh, in antiquity medicine, that served, yep. served these medicines. And um, and a lot of the people I work with today, it's mostly women. And I'll go on the record as saying, uh, as far as the theogenic churches go, and it might not necessarily be holding ceremony, but like forming a community and putting all these events and ceremonies together, women hands down are the best. Just my uh-huh. opinion. <laughs> yeah, it's... It's some, you know, women are real good about bringing everybody together, sense of community, and it just plays out well because one thing I will say is that for a lot of these churches, it's the community really effectuates a lot of the healing because it's the first time people will go somewhere where it's like, we love you for your true authentic self. You know what I mean? We just want you to be, you, you. Yeah. be accepted and loved. The, the, a lot of people in this world have never experienced something like that. Yeah, I mean, most churches you go to, it's, oh, you have to follow this doctrine. Or yeah, this, yeah, this. yeah. Pe- but, people gossiping literally in the church pew about each other, right? So it's like to, to go to an environment like this where, you know, we're not forcing any beliefs on you. You're welcome to believe what you want to believe. You know, you come to find out that there are some common beliefs based upon these shared experiences, but no one's shoving anything down your throat. 
we just want you to believe whatever you want and just to be you. And that that's the only requirement to, to come here, you know? Yeah. And that, that kind of brings me to my next important finding that uh, you talked about in your book in the mental health series on psilocybin is that um, the study, one study noted that psychedelic users um, have been shown to exhibit greater optimism, concern for nature and the oneness of everything, which is like, I mean, this was so profound for me to read because I've read most of these studies, but I hadn't seen this one. And I was like, oh my goodness, like, why aren't, why doesn't everybody know this? Like this, bringing people back to nature. I mean, we've screwed up mother nature, right? You know, we've taken enough from her, right? So this seems like this would be the fix to a lot of the problems we've created with her. It it, it is one of the major fixes, right? I'm not going to say the only, but it is one of the major and that also you know, gives me drive to do the work that I do. A lot of it is saving the planet as well, because yeah, nature relatedness. I mean, and we all, those who've consumed it completely understand it, right? It's like all of a sudden now I look at nature and I see divinity. I see fractals and stuff, you know, like this is awesome. Like we want more of this. Um, and yeah, so, you know, look, it's just one of those things that is going to have to trickle through society and reach the right people uh for these things start to 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 being changed and it's working its way there i'm I'm aware it's working its way up i'm gonna say the ladder um and eventually it's going to reach the right people who are going to be able to actually take action and start doing things but uh yeah you know again i'm like you and if we look back at okay so why are mushrooms controlled substance act what was that well it was a law that was admitted to be leftist and racist anti-leftist and racist right Uh, They were trying to disrupt the hippies and the black people, and they were very successful at it. Um, And so while we're still enforcing these kinds of laws, when the evidence shows it is not effective, uh, has tremendous cost on society and the global economy, uh, you know, that we've pumped trillions and trillions of tax dollars into just a losing war. And we continue to every day. Um, I don't know why that is, you know, but all I can say is that through our work, through your podcast, to just start informing people of these things so that way they can take a pause and think uh, and maybe reach out to their local legislature or whoever politician let them know their, their thoughts on it, you know? So, yeah, what, on that note, what do you think, what, what can every uh, individual who is interested in, you know, seeing this move forward, what can they do to help this initiative? You know, I would I would recommend getting involved in your local decriminalized nature. Other decriminalization movement would be a good step Um, for a lot of it's just standing in your truth. Like if you've had positive experiences with these substances, don't be scared to tell anybody, you know, because when people see someone standing in their truth and living that truth and telling exactly what's on their mind and how they feel is powerful for other people. Right. And, you know, I see this every day, like there are some incredibly talented, intelligent, resource rich people coming into this space, right. Who are really the ones that also speaking up speaks volumes uh, to a lot of people. Um, And it's happening every day. I mean, the number of physicians that are churches and things like that, I mean, it's, it's, it's moving. And so, uh, you know, and to me, that speaks volumes. You know, you have a physician, a doctor, sometimes neurosurgeons that are wanting to help either be a part of an organization or start their own because they believe so strongly 
in the nature of these substances and their abilities to heal and help people, uh, but not only that, in their relative safety. You know what I mean? These doctors, they know about what's you know, medically safe and unsafe. You know, they deal with all kinds of narcotic substances, right? So for them to deem this safe enough to have a group of people come and everybody partake, I think speaks volumes about also the safety of these substances. Well, it's it's hilarious on the chart of everything that's like the safety chart. Yeah. Psilocybin is like the safest thing. Yeah. Alcohol's like the least safest thing. You know, it's it's crazy. It's like people don't understand why is alcohol legalized, but mushrooms is not. Yeah. And so just so you know, and I mentioned my book, out of all of antiquity and history, dating at least back 10,000 years ago, there's only been one recorded death that was even just casually related to the ingestion of mushrooms. There were other factors at play. Yes, the person ingested mushrooms, but there were other factors that likely either was the sole cause or a main contributor of the death. So it's like, yeah, we talk about safety right here. I mean, I don't need the FDA to tell me that psilocybin mushrooms are safe, you know, but I will say this is that, you know, part of these church claims is having to show safety. And these FDA trials funded by pharmaceutical companies can help religious practitioners, especially as it relates to psilocybin and, and also MDMA, which I absolutely believe can be used religiously, MDMA, MDA. Uh, it's going to make it hard for the government uh, to make a safety argument because FDA trials are admissible in court, you know? So, uh, yeah, I, that's why I'm, I'm supportive of all this. I'm obviously partial to the religious spiritual use. That's just jobs with my own understanding and feel for these. But yeah, with the, that too, it's, it's, they're proving up our safety argument for us on a lot of these things. Yeah. And they also, there's a lot of benefits, not just with psilocybin, but some of the um, other medications, like or some of the other medicines that, um, <laughs> you know, can cure depression, can cure cancer. I mean, you know, I, I know people go, uh, when they hear that, but, um, it's true. I, I have heard of people who are having HIV, for example, have taken Iboga, no longer have HIV. And these are not an anecdotal stories. I've heard them over and over and over. Again. Yeah. And, and yeah, because like with Iboga, and again, we were talking about like heroin addiction, I'm sure as you're aware, if you do iboga at the beginning of your withdrawal period, well, when you're done with iboga, there's no more withdrawal. It basically resets all your brain transmitters. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like a natural reset from, from earth yeah. to give you to actually just reset all your brain chemicals. Let's just start over. Yeah. You know, it brings you back to, mm -hmm. yeah. And it's so, I mean, I know that the pharmaceutical industry has a, you know, a problem with this probably because they're thinking, Oh, well then our medicines aren't, we're not going to be able to make any money, but I think, and how do you think, well, how do you think we're going to be able to get over that? Huh. Yeah. So, and, and, um, you know, obviously the pharmaceutical in, in, you know, with this antidepressant thing, I mean, they, they've ran this all the way into the dirt, right? We, we already know antidepressants really aren't effective yeah. at curing depression. And uh, yeah, you know, I don't, it's, as it relates to this mental health thing, I kind of think they're all, it's already done for them. Uh, MDMA is far enough along and psilocybin is far enough along now. I don't think they're going to be able to effectively mount a resistance to it. But a lot of people ask me like, 
you know, well, is the pharmaceutical companies who are now serving psilocybin, are they going to fight this religious exemption, you know, and try to get the law changed to where, you know, you can't have a psilocybin church. And, and I think that's a very valid question. But my point is this, is that because religion and the freedom thereof is so entrenched into our constitutional system, right? And even these major religions, for instance, in the 2006, the UDV case where, you know, the Union Do Vegetal won the right to, you know, sacramentally consume ayahuasca at the Supreme Court level. You know, the Catholic Church was writing briefs on their behalf, right? A lot of these religious, very powerful religious organizations realize what's good for the goose is good for the gander, right? And that, you know, if, if you only support one thing freedom of religion but not really the other you look inconsistent and it's it's going to yeah. come out wrong in the courts i don't think that the pharmaceutical companies are going to be able to stop it i will say this that you know like we were talking earlier the yahe litigation the soul quest litigation and there's going to be some more lawsuits filed um i think the case law is going to be definite enough by the time they would think to do it that there's not going to be any reversing i mean existing supreme court precedent supports the notion that the sacramental consumption of ayahuasca and I would argue a lot of other most if not all other theogens under the proper circumstances is a protected religious exercise and the DEA doesn't even have the authority to Uh, right yeah so there is no statute constitution law existing that says DEA you have the right to determine people's sincerity, to determine the religiousness of their views and beliefs. Uh, There is no law, and that's the religious laws, right? You have to prove that you're involved in a sincere religious exercise, right? So the DA has no authority or business determining those things, because I'll just tell you, even the courts tread lightly in those areas, right? They they, they don't go too far in depth on those things because of how sensitive the subject is, right? And so, you know, the whole notion that the DA thinks that they can just publish a guidance document, which wasn't passed in accordance with the Administrative Procedures Act in order to become effective United States government policy, they just, they, they miffed up on a lot of things. And, you know, they've been called out sufficiently now in court, I believe, that they've retracted the guidance document. And so... Remains to be seen if they try to do it again or, or how they would even try to structure a new guidance document. I don't know, but I think it's fairly clear now that, that their attempt was illegal and unconstitutional. Yeah, and I mean, they have bigger fish to fry. Let's go after they absolutely tra- do. trafficking fentanyl. That's people, <laughs> yeah. typically, you know. Um, and, and, and to be honest with you, that's reflected in, in kind of the you know, what's going on on the ground. There isn't a lot of DEA, if any, intervention, right? Uh, some sacrament gets seeds coming across the border, but no real arrest or anything ever really done about that. Um, but other than that, everybody I've worked with is practicing in peace and not being interfered with and not having any kind of criminal legal troubles at all. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I just tell people if you're, if you're sincere and you're practicing and you're being safe, and you're handling the substance properly, you know, you really don't have just a lot to worry about. But I will say, this is a gray area of the law. There are no real guarantees. All we can do is, you know, from the beginning, try to document and enshrine your rights the best that we can. And so that way, in the event anything were to occur, you have a whole set of documents to speak for your case, right? You know, because when you look at a lot of these religion cases, when people try to prove up their religious beliefs under cross-examination on the stand, 
does it tend to work too well? So that's why we like to document those things. So that way that can be the evidence of it, you know, if it ever goes to court. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk briefly about um, the Clay Villanova case, which um, coincidentally we have kind of a mutual friend in yeah. um, <laughs> um, him. So um, talk about that and how that kind of changed things because they actually did see, you know, they arrested him. Yeah. So, and, and again, it's been a little while since I've studied the facts, but this is to the best of my recollection kind of how that went. Clay Villanueva, the leader of the Arizona Yahe Assembly, which I'll say I've heard holds beautiful ceremonies. Um, you know, he was a religious leader of this religious organization. He had spent considerable amounts of time in the jungle uh, learning these things and properly kind of training to come and serve and be a leader of a church. And uh, I think what happened is this, is that Clay approached the lawyer saying, well, we want our exemption. And the lawyer said, well, you know, the DA has this guidance procedure, but we don't think it's legal or constitutional. So they basically send a letter to the DA telling them, look, we plan on filing with the court for an exemption. We don't believe that your process is valid. Um, but if, and I think the character was like this, you know, if you want to reach out the next 30 days and discuss with us, we would be open to, you know, trying to work this out with you um, to which the DEA allegedly forced or coerced the local sheriff's department to go and raid his house. And, you know, there they found a lot of, sacrament and, and money and stuff like that, um, which then went ahead and spurred the lawsuit. So they just went ahead and filed the lawsuit, you know, once that happened. And um, so, yeah, so they're fighting it right now in Arizona federal court. Um, I feel very good about their case. Um, and so we'll see how it turns out. But I'll note this is that there's a case called Tanzan from the U.S. Supreme Court that basically says this. If a federal government official interferes with your religious practice, you can sue them personally in court for money damages, right? So theoretically, if the, if the DA would have busted Clay's door in, mm-hmm. he could have sued them for all the lost donations that he suffered or any other economic, you know, consequences of, of that interference. And so that's why I think you see the DA, the federal agents, really pressuring these other agencies to to do the dirty work. And I'm not saying that that happened for sure. I, I don't think it's been proven up per se in court. There's some good evidence to suggest that happened, but if it did, I would almost assure you that's why the, the federal government was like, Hey, you know. well, what advice do you have to people who um, are looking to start in theogenic churches and um, are wanting to um, have the right to work with their sacrament? What, what advice do you give? Yeah. Yeah, so um, I'll say this, and I, I just said this, you know, it's a gray area of the law. There are no guarantees, so I encourage everyone to do a sufficient amount of soul searching to be able to stand up and say, look, you know, regardless of the gray nature of this, I'm pushing forward because the work with the medicine is more important to me than a lot of these other things I'm seeking to protect, right? And, and I don't look. If, if, if it's not, if you're protecting things that are very, very important to you and, and at the moment it's more important than medicine work, then by all means, I mean, I just, whichever way you come out, I just want to make sure that you did enough contemplation to, you know, come up with the right decision for you. Uh, but that's number one, what I would say. Two, you know, obviously, and I'll say this, uh, religious rights don't exist in a vacuum. You don't, the government doesn't have to tell you that your religious practice is valid, right, for you to practice. Um, 
And I tell people, you know, theoretically, you could not do all these documents I do. That's fine. That doesn't mean you're not going to be protected, right? Uh, but you have to be doing everything correctly, meaning that you're doing this sincerely in a religious manner. Uh, you're being safe and you're handling the substances properly. Uh, but I do encourage all this upfront structuring and, and documents uh, because, again, it also gives validity to your sincerity. Uh, through the documents, you can prove up that this is, in fact, a religious exercise. Um, and then also to address these safety and diversion concerns through documents, through policies and procedures uh, to, again, put you on the best foot possible should anything occur. But again, there are plenty of people out here practicing in a very protected manner who don't necessarily have a formal church done up. Uh, it's just something I recommend just knowing what I know about how these cases have turned out in the past for people who didn't. Uh, and, and I also get told all the time, too, that, you know, we feel more secure now that we have our documents in order. And that sense of security really bleeds out to the people who come and sit with us. Uh, so, yeah, and that's it. Again, and my last thing is just, you know, if, if you're not able to effectively and safely bring someone through a process, <laughs> yeah. get, get someone else who can. You know what I mean? Like People can start churches without being a mess server. Absolutely. A lot of people do, but, but they relegate that part to someone who is experienced, you know, who's in line with forms or, Yeah, things like yeah. that. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah so that, that's all I would say. And look, I encourage everybody, if you're convicted on this, mm -hmm. don't be ashamed of, of doing, you know, of practicing in accordance with your views, you know. Yeah, that, it reminds me of kind of um, my, my boyfriend, he's probably going to kill me for saying this, but um, <laughs> hey, yeah. Uh, he um we got he had a methamphetamine problem we got him off of methamphetamines with psilocybin and then they put him on lithium they said he was bipolar i knew he wasn't spirit was telling me he's not bipolar he was just the you know it's just the drugs and um so psilocybin really helped get him off that too and he's a completely different human being i mean like night and day and it's funny his family all thinks that he's still on lithium and because He's like afraid to stand up and say to him, like, this is what I did. You yeah. Know, to, yeah. To, to fix it. And, but they're all like raving, like he's doing so good. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's like the inside joke between us. Cause it's like, okay, it's uh, not the lithium. <laughs> yeah. You know, some people just weren't ready to, and I get it. I mean, to be honest with you, um, my sister wouldn't talk to me or let me see my nieces for quite some time after I published my first book. And then, on and off lets me see them now, you know, because of the work I do. Um, so I totally get it. You know, I get it. And I've suffered some consequences for being very vocal and open about, you know, Tell my practice. It. And so, yeah, I mean, I get it. Some people just aren't ready. And if it's your family and, you know, if contact could be threatened because of it, then look, just keep it to yourself. You know, I, I totally get it. Yeah. I think, I think when the time comes, um, people, everybody will stand up anyway. Oh yeah. They will. They will. And a lot of people are. We see a lot of, you know, kind of big name people coming out in support of this and a lot of it because of their personal experiences. And so that also helps mm -hmm. people who might be their fans or followers to now consider a different viewpoint when it, as it relates to them. Yeah. And it's it is a very important I mean, it's important part of spirituality. And in the United States in particular, we lack that component now there isn't yeah. this you know this oneness between us yeah. at all yeah. um you know and so i i feel like this is really something that we need 
um, to change the future of how we're going to be as a country. You know, as as I do work further in the space and kind of shed my own mind programs, I mean, I start to see that it's very clear that we live in a spiritually sick global society, you know, and a lot of this is fueled through these corporations and the way that they advertise and sell stuff to us that, you know, you're not good enough. You're you're not whole till you get X or till you do Y or have Z. And people don't feel complete within themselves. And it's just a fundamental error of a mind program to have going through life like that. And many people, many lifetimes have gone through that. Right. And so, you know, these medicines, if if it's done correctly and people have the correct experience, like wake you up to that to say, yeah, I'm completely whole within myself. I am divine and I am powerful and, you know, I can do anything I put my mind to literally. You know, and, and so you, once you start to change that, you see people fundamentally change for the better, I feel. Um, and other people see that, too. Yeah, I mean, definitely for the better. I've I've never seen, you know, I've never taken somebody through ceremony and had them come out worse on the other yeah, side. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's um, sometimes there are profound changes that happen that have to be, you know, that have to be integrated. Um, yeah. That takes time. But it's always like this profound, um, big awakening in the end that that changes. That's life changing, you know. So yeah, it's uh, I forget who said it. One of the main researchers. It might have been Charles Groff, but you know, he said that working with psychedelics and theogens isn't about creating new belief systems. It's about shedding old beliefs, right? Once we shed those old beliefs, and now we have a clean slate, we can kind of tap into our higher self and start formulating new ideas and thoughts, right? That tend to be more really pro-social, you know, like, like productive member of society type thoughts, you know, that, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, does the government have an interest in even preventing this? I don't believe at all. As a matter of fact, I think it has an interest considering the health costs of Mm -hmm. our country due to depression stuff. And the opiate, actually the opiate crisis and turning that around. Terrible. It's terrible. And, you know, it's, it's, I occasionally go to recovery meetings and just the amount of people who are dying from fentanyl out here uh, is thickening and it's sad. And, you know, I just hope that these substances can at least play some role in bringing people away from that. Like Iboga. Yeah. There's no reason why Iboga or Ibogaine should not be a regular treatment received uh, upon admission to, to rehabilitation. Right. It's There's got no reason. Like- it's got like a 70% uh, success rate in a year or longer that people stay sober. Yeah. Just that's like, incredible. That's, we've never heard of numbers like this. <laughs> no, not at all. You know? Not at all. So, I mean, and it, it's funny. I also, um, my, my boyfriend goes to meetings sometimes too. And I always love to remind him that um, Bill, who, you know, asked Bill, did, yeah. he, he came up with the idea on an LSD trip. That's right. And, and promoted, uh, you know, LSD for to because he understood that, you know, because a lot of AA, the program is a spiritual based program. And, and it's either people either have a sudden, complete mystical experience sometimes, many times or over time, things are revealed to them through working the program and really serving other people. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, so, yeah, but he knew that people who had a hard time or really struggled with the spirituality part that these substances absolutely could help assist them in reaching that basic understanding between them and the higher power. 
And yeah, he knew that. And now we know that, you know, but still it's kind of taboo in a lot of, you know, AA groups to even mention uh, something like that. Well, I think because they got bought out by the uh, Rockefellers who or well, actually they, they put money into the organization. So I think that was kind of what, what shut that down that, Oh, you can't talk about that anymore. Yeah. So you're, and you're completely right about that is there was, you know, basically the main AA board um, was like, no, we're not, we're, we're not going to entertain this stuff, you yeah. know? And, you know, I go to AA meetings. I don't really speak too much about the work I do. A lot of people know, but I have been asked by quite a few people like, Hey, you know, is this right for me? Is this something that could help me? And I've just tried to, you know, I tell them, look, if you're called, you're called. If you would like to go sit somewhere, I can help you get somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I offer assistance when it's asked, but I don't go trying to, you know, convert people there. It's right. just there's, a, there's this ingrained thought that anything mind-altering, which a lot of the people are taking mind-altering antidepressants every day, right. but anything mind-altering is terrible. And you know, I think it's like this with any substance. It's not the substance. It's your relationship to it and your intent, you know, because everything's about intention, your intent behind consuming it, you know, because they tried to come at me before about, oh, you said these ceremonies. I said, no, no, no. Like, this is my religious practice, right? Mm -hmm. My relationship with these substances isn't the same as my relationship to these others. Mm -hmm. These are sacred and I hold them in very high regard and take this very seriously. Not using them to escape from something, you know. No, I'm, I'm using it's, them it's, to it's a dive into it. Yeah. Really, you know, it's a dive into your problems yeah. uh, to resolve them within myself, you know. Yeah. Really. Wow. Well, beautifully said. Um, I have one last question that I uh, ask my guests. And if you had um, one word of advice or one sense of advice for mm -hmm. humanity, what would it be? You know, this right here is that unconditional love is really the answer to to all of uh you know your problems you know and i said because this it's like loving people when times are good is easy but unconditionally loving people and just respecting them for where they're on their path really brings you a sense of peace and serenity uh within yourself that you otherwise might have and you know another thing is that consider this that Absolutely everything is divine, you know, the good and the bad. And so when we understand that, we just try to not judgmentally, but fit things into a puzzle. And you might not fit every time, but just trying to fit it into the overall puzzle of what's going on, where you're headed, what this might be signaling to you about your path are two of the main things that I've learned from using these medicines that's completely changed for me, you know. That you're right. Uh, it's all love, and I have so many people come out of ceremony. They're like, oh, "It's love. Yeah. It's, it's so easy. Yeah. It's love." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's love." You know, even if, for instance, if I were out somewhere, someone punched me in the face, like I wouldn't. Yeah. You know, as terrible as that seems, you know, the universe is sending me a message one way or another. Um, and so it's not me to judge or say this is good or bad. It's just, it is what it is. What's it trying to teach me? Uh, and the more of those lessons one picks up on and changes accordingly, the quicker you're going to get to your higher path and where you're really supposed to be going. Yeah, I think life doesn't have to be as hard as we make it to be. Oh, no, no. My life, I mean, I enjoy my life. I'm a very happy person. It's taken me a long time to get here. but Yes, <laughs> yes, me too. Yeah.
But um, yeah, well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll come back anytime. Just let me know. Appreciate it. Thank you for the work that you're doing for everybody. Much appreciated. And thank you for your still. So one thing is that like podcast and these other, uh, you know, mediums that reach the masses are extremely important uh, work also done in the space. So thank you for what you do. All right.